You're listening to a sermon from Ketchikan Church of the Nazarene. For more sermons or information about our church, please visit ktnnaz.org or like Ketchikan Naz on Facebook. I don't necessarily endorse or not endorse any of those products. Um, but I, <laughs> this morning we're going to be talking about the Trinity. Um, one of those things that we believe in the Christian church. We believe in the Bible. We believe in the Trinity. And it's something that boggles people's brains. How does the Trinity work? Three gods in one, one God, three. How does this even play out? But in reality, we shouldn't be confused by this because we are, we are aware of three-in-one products up the wazoo. It trims, it grooms, it cuts your, folds your laundry, it does this, it does that. We don't have a problem with something that can make your coffee, fry your egg, and make your toast all at the same time. But for some reason, we have a problem with the Trinity being Father, Son, and Spirit at the same time. Um, So I use the infomercials because uh, uh, society says that, sure, something can be multiple things in one. The iPad, you can do multiple things with it. The phone, you can do multiple things with it. Your, um, Your oven bakes and broils and also keeps things warm. You don't have a problem understanding there's three functions to that, right? But when it comes to God, we suddenly go, wait a minute, it couldn't possibly be three in one. And that's what we're going to look at this morning is uh, the Trinity and the three in one nature of God. Um, Before we dive into that, I do want to review what we talked about last week briefly. Um, Last week, we talked about scripture, right? That this is the word of God. Um, Here's the things that we learned about scripture, I think. Oh, okay. We're good. There we go. The Bible is the inspired word of God, right? So it's the word of God from God. He inspired this. Um, It only teaches the truth because God is truth, and therefore he inspires only truth. The Bible is inerrant, meaning there's no errors in here. It comes from God. It's 100% true. It's error-free. It's also historically attested. Um, We talked about that last week, meaning there is no other document on the face of the planet, no other book or manuscript that has as much um, historical weight as this. This is the most historically attested document, the most proof for any document on the face of the planet in terms of its historical accuracy, the transmission of the words in here. It's the Bible. No other book can stand the test of scrutiny as much as this one. And it's also um, alive and active. Being that it's the word of God, it can get into your life in the way that no other book can. And because we believe these things about the Bible, um, we can believe what the Bible says. We can open to any page and we can read it and we can go, this is true. This is what God says. It's the word of God. It teaches truth. It's without errors. I can trust that this is accurate. Um, And it must change my life somehow, so I must understand what it says and apply it to my life. Therefore, from now on, when we read scripture, we can go, yes, I must apply this. Yes, I must believe this. Yes, I need to take the full complement of this and figure out how to apply it to my life. So we started with scripture last week because today we're tackling something that is a little difficult. Um, Nowhere in scripture are you going to be able to open up the Bible and read the word Trinity. The word Trinity does not exist in the Bible. So when we have something like the Trinity that we believe in as a Christian church, um, people will go, well, it's not in the Bible. 
And then you need to go, well, yes, it is. And we need to look at the whole complement of the Bible and see what it says about God. Um, and so we're going to discuss the Trinity, um, I think. Maybe my batteries are running out. Oh, no, a little forward. Let's go back to the... I'm going to jump back several slides. Yep, there we go. That's the one. Um, we believe... In the Trinity, um, Augustine, favorite old dead dude from a long time ago, St. Augustine, he said this about the Trinity, try and deny the Trinity and you'll lose your soul. Try and explain it and you'll lose your mind. Um, I love that quote because um, as Christians, we believe that the Trinity, the doctrine of the Trinity, the belief about the Trinity sums up who God is in his entirety. Um, so if you deny a portion of the Trinity or all of the Trinity, you're denying who God is, and therefore you're saying it doesn't apply to your life. God, as the Christian church would believe it, doesn't apply to my life if I don't believe in the Trinity. Um, so henceforward why he said you'll lose your soul. But on the other hand, if you try and explain the Trinity in a way that's concise and clear, um, that's free of error or heresy, it can be very complex. Um, so what we're going to do this morning... Um, Lord willing, we're going to um, try and lose our minds together as we come up with a palatable and understandable but not oversimplified version of the Trinity. We want it to contain accuracy, um, but we also want it to be simple enough that if someone says, well, doesn't that mean you believe in three gods? We can say, well, clearly no, and here's why. Um, so um, why don't we pray, ask for wisdom, and, uh, and then we will dive right in to studying the Trinity. Father, um, Recognize that you are Lord. Jesus, you are also Lord. And Holy Spirit, you are Lord too. And this morning, um, we want to come before you as one God. Uh, we are one people coming before you. And we say, we need your wisdom, Father. Um, Jesus, we need you to speak into our lives. Holy Spirit, we need you to convict us of things this morning. But above all, Father, we need to know who you are. Would you help my mouth wrap around these words? Would you help my brain understand who you are so that it can be conveyed in, in a simple and accurate way. Father, I pray as we wrestle with these truths about who you are and who scripture says that you are, that you would open our minds and our hearts to the truth, um, that we would see you clearly for who you are, even if just a glimpse that we might catch who you are, that we might carry that vision of who you are with us for the rest of our lives. It says in Revelation that there are there are beings that their sole job is to worship you and cry, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Father, this morning we are worshiping you, the one who the angels cry to, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And you are a trinity, God. Help us understand that this morning. We pray in your name. Amen. All right. This is no small task, okay? We're going to try and do it in about 35 minutes. So put your thinking caps on, and we're going to dive right in. Um, if you look at the Bible, um, and if you have a digital version or you have your paper version, um, like I said, you could flip through this entire thing, and you're never going to see the word Trinity. Um, let me clarify. There are some translations of the Bible that will put Trinity in there. In the original wording, um, as it was, there's no Trinity in the original manuscripts. There's 66 books, countless words. But Trinity is not one of them. So where did we get this word? Did someone just make it up? Did someone just make up the idea that there is three, per three persons in one God? Well, no. 
um, there was a guy, an old dead guy, who I'm fond of them. His name is Tertullian, old dead guy from church history. And he read the scripture, and he loved the scriptures, and he read all of them all the time. And he studied the scripture so much that he began to understand that all of the scriptures paint a big picture of God. It's not just one verse that tells you about God. It's all of the scriptures that tell you about God. So he looked at all of the scriptures that talk about God, and there's a lot of them. And he wanted to summarize um, who God was. So he coined the term Trinity. That's where we get it, Tertullian, the old dead guy. He coined the term Trinity in an effort to summarize the totality, the total biblical teaching on who God is. He didn't invent the Trinity. He just gave the name for it. And when you break that term down, try unity. That's where he gets it from. Try unity. Three, try unity together. Three in one is basically what the Trinity is. Um, But before we get into the definition of what it is, we need to say what it's not. Um, Society gets confused. There are a lot of books out there that try and explain the Trinity, and they get it all wrong. Some of it because they just don't understand. Some of them are leading Christians astray intentionally um, because they don't believe in the Trinity. We need to understand what the Trinity is not, and I'll share with you a little story. Um, In undergraduate school, I was in a theology class because we have to take it um, in our undergraduate work at the school I was at. Um, I had to write a paper on the Trinity. And I thought, well, that's not hard. God's three in one, right? Father, Son, and Spirit. Pretty easy. Try writing 10 pages on that. And it was a little more complex because I had to explain how that worked. I had to basically do this sermon in a really boring essay. Um, And I got it wrong, right? Like, I love Jesus. I loved Jesus then. Um, I thought I understood the Trinity, I'd studied it, I'd read the textbook on it, I'd listened to the lectures on it. I was like, I get this, God, three in one, we're good, that's pretty easy. Wrote my paper. I got it back a week later with a big F on the top. I don't get Fs, okay? It, I, I, I just don't. I did in, um, in math once, but we don't talk about that. So that, other, than, other than that year of math, okay? Um, I, don't, I don't get Fs, I never have, and I was like, I, I didn't, it didn't, I couldn't, I still can't register that grade on that piece of paper. And I, I flipped through the pages because he always wrote notes on the back page, like why he gave you the grade he did. He said, you wrote heresy, 10 pages of it. And I was like, I, I, didn't, I didn't know it was heresy. I thought I was right on. So I went and I sat down with him. I said, you got to point this out to me because, like, I get it. Three in one, the Trinity, where did I go wrong? He goes, well... There's this type of heresy called modalism, and that, and then he explained to me this modalistic, modalistic heresy, um, wherein I described them inaccurately, um, and it's really easy to fall into heresy in the Trinity. As Christians, we need to know what we believe. When someone says, "Why do you believe in three gods?" we need to clearly state, "We don't. We believe in one God in three persons." But we got to be careful how we say it because it can come across sounding like three gods. Um, I'll share with you the three ways that the Trinity is incorrect. Uh, My battery must be dead. Uh, There we go. Can I, oh, I got the laser pointer, so my battery's not dead. Um, Here we go. Um, Three heresies, three errors of looking at the Trinity. Bear with me. I will try to make this simple. Um, This is a teapot and three cups, okay? This is modalism. This is where I went drastically wrong. 
Um, okay, this says that, bear with this analogy, God is in the teapot, okay, he's the tea. And you pour out three different cups. You have three separate cups of tea. That's incorrect. Um, bear with me here. Subordinationism, incorrect view of the Trinity. The Father is more important than the Son, who is more important than the Spirit. That means there's a hierarchy, okay? Um, there is no hierarchy in the Trinity. They are all equal. So subordinationism, that's probably the easiest heresy to understand. One is more important than the other is what that heresy says. Um, tritheism, obviously that says there's three crowns, three gods. It means you worship three gods, not one god. Let's go back to modalism. I don't like the teapot analogy. Um, imagine you have Plato, okay? You all are familiar with Plato? You have red Plato. Orange, let's go with orange. It's my favorite color. You have orange Plato, okay? And you take the Plato and you make a ball with it. That's God the Father. Well, you've used all your Plato for God the Father's circle. So now you need to make triangle, God the Son. But you don't have the circle anymore because you used all the Play-Doh to make your triangle. Then you use all that Play-Doh again to make a snake. And that's, you know, the Holy Spirit. Tri uh, modalism says that one of them exists at any given point and the other two don't. It's like saying um, you have Clark Kent, but you can't have Clark Kent and Superman in the same place at the same time. I'm now on my third analogy, but is this making sense to you guys? <laughs> I'm trying at my best to convey this type of heresy. It says that God, the Father, will be present, but Jesus and the Son won't be. The Holy Spirit will be present, but Jesus and God, the Father, won't be. It says you can only have one of them at a time because they have to transform into the other. Let's go to Transformers, right? You can have Optimus Prime or you can have the semi-truck, but you can't have both at the same time, right? So you guys with me on this modalistic heresy? That's where I went drastically wrong in my essay. I somehow, along the way implied that you could only have one at any given point in time. I failed that paper. He was gracious enough to let me rewrite it because it's very common to accidentally misstate the Trinity. Um, it's very important to know the unbiblical ways because these are what people will believe. Well, God the Father is more important than God the Son because Father is more important than Son. I don't even know what the Spirit is, so he must obviously be on the bottom of the hierarchy, right? People think strange things about the Trinity, or that it's three gods. Well, Father, Son, and Spirit, you've got three different gods. No, one God, three persons, and we're going to get there right now. Here's a definition of the Trinity. This is what we as Christians believe. <laughs> this is what we as Christians believe. We believe that there is one God who exists in three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. Each of those persons, we can go to the next one. There we go. Um, one God, three divine persons, each of those persons are co-equal and co-eternal. That's the Trinity in a nutshell. We could stop our sermon here, but I want to dive into this a little further. Okay, so Trinity, one God, three divine persons, all of those divine persons are co-equal and co-eternal. This is the accurate biblical view of God, the triune God. Okay? So let's, um, let's kind of dive into this. 
one God. We'll go to the next slide if you're jumping with me. There is one God. This is something we need to wrestle with first. Do we believe there is just one God? Well, what does Scripture say? Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God. Well, that seems pretty self-explanatory, right? You start off Scripture with something relatively straightforward. In the beginning, God. But what you don't get in the English word is what the original Hebrew word is saying. The original Hebrew for God there is Elohim. It's a plural. God is saying, in the beginning, I the plurality. In the beginning, the plural God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, the triune God, three persons in one, created. So um, you have a singular word meaning a multiple person. Does that make sense? The word Elohim is the plural form of the word. From the very beginning of Scripture, from the very first words in Scripture, God wants you to know that there is one God, three persons. Are we on track now? Cool. One God, three persons. Um, in Deuteronomy 6.4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Again, Elohim. Hear, O Israel, Elohim, your God, the Lord is one. Elohim is one. The multiple is one. Okay? This is three and one right here in the Old Testament. Um, in, the, uh, in the world that we live in, there are lots of false gods, right? It's really easy to see in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. They worshipped deities of rain, right? They worshipped um, house gods that were rocks. They feared statues. They sacrificed children to idols. You see this all throughout the Bible. Um, in the New Testament, they worshipped Roman Greeks, uh, Roman gods and Greek gods, and we read about them in mythology, um, Zeus and so forth and so on. One for every season, the harvest god, the fertility god, the war god. They worshipped through sacrifice and prostitution. All of these types of gods they worshipped, but they were all false gods because Scripture says there is only one god. It's plural god, but there's one god. Today we might not see the kind of overt idol worship um, that existed back in the days of the Old Testament and New Testament, but it surrounds us. Vanity, false god. Perfection, false god. Money, false god. Pride, false god. All of the things that you value over God can become a false god. And as a culture, we're guilty of sacrificing to those false gods in any way that we can so that we can get ahead, that we can exalt ourselves, so that we can please ourselves, ultimately, um, who we value as our, our God, ourselves. But Scripture says this, that the Lord is one. Uh, Deuteronomy 4.35, the Lord is God, there is no other beside him. Deuteronomy 32, there is no God besides me, says the Lord. Psalm 86, you alone are God. Isaiah 43, God says, before me there was, was no God, and after me there will be no God. He's like saying, listen, I was and is and am to come, right? You know, whatever the correct conjugation of those verbs would be. I am the one and the only, okay? Um, Isaiah 45, I am the Lord. There is no other God beside me. 1 Timothy 1, God is the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God. 1 Timothy 2, there is one God. There's a lot more scriptures than that. God is very clear throughout all of scripture. There is one God. There's one God and his reign is unequaled. It is full and it is good. And if you serve another God, then you don't serve and worship the God of scripture. This is something that we have to wrestle with. 
If you serve another God over the biblical God, then you are not worshiping the biblical God. You're worshiping this other God, which means you are not worshiping the God of the Bible, and you are an idol worshiper, and this is where Christians have to check ourselves. All people need to check themselves here. Do I worship the God of the Bible, or do I worship another God? And time and time again, we have to check ourselves and go, I was worshiping myself in that moment. I thought my own comfort was greater than the comfort of someone else. I thought my own comfort was greater than serving God. We need to consistently go back and say, am I really worshiping God with my heart and mind and soul and all of my actions? If you believe that there is one God, then we move on to the next step. (laughs) There are three persons, three divine persons in the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. These are the three. Um, And we'll check this out from Scripture. Don't just take my word for it. God the Father is God. John 6.27 says simply, God the Father. That's pretty straightforward, right? You can't really mess with that. 1 Corinthians 8.6, there is one God who is Father. Okay, so we're pretty clear. There is God the Father. Um, And across time, across history, across cults and Christianity, there is one thing that most people tend to agree on. So I won't belabor the point. The point is that most people will agree there's one God of whatever variety they tend to believe in. What separates Christianity is we believe there are three persons in this one God. Christianity says it's not just that there's this one supreme deity, but we believe that this one supreme deity has three divine persons. And so we move to God the Son. Culture probably won't contest a father-God figure, but it does contest Jesus the Son as God. People will tell you that Jesus the Son can't be God. People will tell you, well, he's lesser than God the Father. People will tell you he's not really God, he's man. And all of these are false views of Jesus. First John reads like this, In the beginning was the Word. And we know from Scripture that the Word was God. And the Word was with God. Um, Do you know that they're talking about Jesus in that passage? The term word there is a Greek term um, that is used for Jesus. Um, It's uh, it's saying this, the modern translation would be this. Um, In the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. And Jesus was with God, and Jesus is God, and Jesus created all things with God. That's how 1 John reads in an English translation. John continues to say that Jesus became flesh, the word became flesh, that he became human, that he dwelt among us. So first John, or John chapter one is saying that Jesus is the son of God, but the son of God was with God in the very beginning, that the son of God, Jesus was creating the heavens and the earth with God in the beginning, which goes back to Genesis one, right? In the beginning, Elohim, plural, created the heavens and the earth. John 8, 58 quotes Jesus, and it says, Before Abraham was born, I am. He was making a reference to the I am of the Old Testament. Remember Moses and the burning bush? He wasn't just saying, I existed. He was saying, listen, all of you people who know your Old Testament, before Abraham was born, I am, capital letters. I am the God. That is my name, Yahweh. Before Abraham, I am Yahweh. 
I existed before Abraham. Um, in John chapter 8, I'm going to read you a little short passage here. John chapter 8, verses 56, and 56 to 59, says this. Jesus is talking. Um, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day, and he saw it and was glad. And the Jews said to him, Jesus, you're not even 50 years old. How have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And then they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus himself hid himself and went out of the temple. And then in John 10, 30 through 33, it says this. I and the Father are one. And then the Jews picked up stones to stone him. And Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. Which of them are you going to stone me for? And the Jews answered, it's not for a good work that we're going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. What these two passages show is that Jesus is saying, listen, I was before the beginning of the world. I still am God, even though I'm with you in the flesh. And the people who heard him say those things clearly recognized what he was saying. He was clearly saying, I'm God. Now, someone stood up in our midst right now and said, I'm God. We go, mmm, no. And that's what the people of the day were saying. They're like, dude, we, we grew up with you. Like, we don't believe you, that you're God. We're going to stone you for blasphemy, which is what the law allowed. Jesus, though, um, he had one up on them because he was God. <laughs> so, so he just kind of disappeared from their midst rather than being stoned. Jesus is clearly saying, I am God. Not just I am God created the universe, not just I am God that was before all time, but I am God in the flesh right now with you. He's God became flesh. This is really important for us and for the gospel. Romans 9, 5, Christ is God over all things. 1 John 5, Jesus Christ is the true God. So now we've got God the Father, supported by Scripture, God the Son, Jesus, supported by Scripture. There is one God. God is the Father. There is one God. God is the Son. And then there's the third person, the Spirit. This is the nebulous one, no pun intended. This is the one that people get confused about the most. This is the one that we forget is God. This is the one that we disrespect the most unintentionally. Um, so we have to address the misconception of the Holy Spirit. I preached a message similar to this a year or two ago, and I was studying up on the Trinity, studying up on the Holy Spirit, and the Lord convicted me. The Spirit convicted me that I had been treating the Holy Spirit as an it, not a he. Does that make sense? Um, as a tool, not as a divine person of the Trinity. And it just kind of shook my world. There was like a whole week where I was like, I don't even believe I lived most of my Christian life treating God like an it, which is kind of offensive. Um, the Holy Spirit is a person in the Trinity, a he, not an it. An it makes the Holy Spirit an impersonal force and not a God. The Holy Spirit is not impersonal, though, right? The Holy Spirit is very personal. The Holy Spirit is not an object or a tool 
by which we use to do something. The Holy Spirit is not something by which we would say, God, will you pull out of your grab bag the Holy Spirit and work on something for me? The Holy Spirit is a person. He moves. He speaks. He acts. He can be grieved. He can be resisted. He convicts. He leads. He guides. He informs. Not only is the Holy Spirit a he, but that he is God. The third person in the Trinity. Second Corinthians says, now the Lord is spirit. So we have God the Father, we have God the Son, and we have God the Spirit. How do we know this, though? How do we know that there's not some weird tool that God uses? How do we know that the Holy Spirit is a he? Um, in Acts 5, there's a story, Ananias and Sapphira, right? You guys are familiar with this. The apostles are gathering together, and they're giving portions of what they have to build the church, It's a great story. If you haven't read Acts, read Acts. It tells about how the church was built, how the church should look. Um, But in Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira had a chunk of property, and they decided to sell it. Totally fine. They also decided to keep a portion of the proceeds for their own. Totally fine. It was their own property. What they did, though, was they went before the apostles who represented God. And before God, they said, we sold the property, and here's all of the money we got for the property. They were liar, liar, pants on fire, okay? And God knew that because God knows your heart. And um, Ananias went in first. And uh, he said, here's all the money we got for the property. And uh, the Holy Spirit checked the apostles. The apostle, I forget which one was speaking, Peter, I think, said, is that all the money you got for the property? Yep, yep, it is. And the apostle, I think it was Peter, said, nope, you've lied. Not just to men, but to God, the Holy Spirit. Wabam, he died. Like, that's, like, that's harsh. But scripture said he lied not just to men, but to God, the Spirit. So the Shekinah glory came down and zapped Ananias. He died. They took his body out. Sapphira came in, his wife. They conspired together. They asked her the same question. She said, yeah, that's all the money we got. Are you sure? Oh, yeah, that's all the money we got. Well, you just lied to God, just like your husband, whose feet are being carried out the door because he just died. And then Sapphira died. Because God takes himself very seriously. He doesn't like to be lied to. And they were lying to the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit knew it. God didn't like that because the Holy Spirit is God. God doesn't strike everyone dead for lying. I think he was making a very strong statement here in that moment, in that specific time in history. But the thing that we can take away from that is, yes, the Holy Spirit is God. God knows your heart. He knows what's going on inside of you. He knows your mind. He knows your intentions. He knows that struggle that you have between good and evil. He sees the debate that rages between sin and sanctification. And he wants you to choose sanctification and holiness. And when you don't, he convicts you. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. One God, three divine persons, right? We there so far? We all on the same page? Relatively speaking, okay, here's the last portion of it. All are co-equal and co-eternal. Co-equal meaning there is not one higher than the other. There is not one that sits higher on the tier than the other. There is not one that is more important than the other, okay? They are all co-equal. All three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, are equally God. 
Grace and peace to you from God our Father. In the beginning was the Word, Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and the Word was God. Acts 5, you lied to the Holy Spirit. You didn't lie to man, but to God. Okay, those are summary verses to show God is Father, Son, and Spirit. Altogether, they are all God. Nowhere in Scripture does it say God the Father is more important than Jesus the Son. Nowhere in Scripture does it say that the Holy Spirit is a tool and therefore lesser than the Father or the Son. They are co-equal. Each one of them shares the same properties of God, all-knowing, all-everywhere, all-everything, all-good, all-righteous, all-just, all-everything that God is, all of them share equally. They are also all-equally creator, eternal. They all pre-existed the world. Um, Isaiah 64, you, O Lord, are our Father. You are our potter, and we are the work of your hand. Okay, God the Father created us. First, or John 1, 3, all things were made through Christ. So God the Father created us. We're the work of his hands. John 1 says all things were made through Christ. Job 33, the Spirit of God made me. All three divine persons create. All three divine persons brought about the beginning of the world. All three divine persons had a hand in creating you, have a hand in shaping you, have a hand in making you be more like Christ. All three persons are all-knowing, all-good, all-just, all-righteous, jealous for their name, sovereign. They're all creator. They all have the right to be worshipped. They all give gifts. They all give life. They all judge the living and the dead. They are all God. They always have been God. They always are God. They always will be God, okay? One God, three divine persons, all co-equal and co-eternal. They're also equally authoritative, even though they have different functions, okay? This means that the Father is not over the Son, who is over the Spirit, It means they mutually submit to one another. They give deference to one another out of love and reverence and unity. The Father sends Jesus. Jesus sends the Spirit. The Spirit moves through all of us. It is out of equal but mutual submission from the Trinity that we know how to live life. Here's how this plays out in real life. Children are not lesser human beings than their parents, right? but they are to listen to and submit to the authority of their parents. They are not lesser in value as humans than parents, but they are to respect and submit to their parents. This is how the Trinity works. None of them are lesser than the other, but they submit to one another out of respect. Wives are not less than husbands, but they are to respect them. Husbands are not less than wives, but are to serve them, right? Christians are not less than pastors, but are to listen to spiritual leadership. Pastors are not less than Billy Graham, but are to submit to wise Bible teaching. Christians, our citizens, are not less than government officials, but we are to honor and pray for people in political leadership. Um, There's this creed um, that was written by an old dead dude. 
Okay, I like old dead dudes, and as we study theology, there's a lot of old dead dudes we talk about. Because way back in the day, before we had theology textbooks, they didn't have them. They only had the scripture. And they had to wrestle with what scripture said, not what someone else said about it. So they studied scripture, and they came up with ideas. And way back in the day, in about, I don't know, the 150s, 200s, forget the right about that time frame, there's a guy named Athanasius, one of my favorite, favorite, favorite old dead dudes. He loved God so much, and he loved the Trinity, and he loved the Word of God, and he believed Jesus was the Son of God. But there was a dude that lived in the same time frame as him called Sibelius. Had weird names, right? Sibelius didn't understand the Trinity, and he was influential in the church, and he was teaching people that Jesus is not God. And also, the Trinity doesn't exist. And Athanasius said, that's heresy. And so he pointed the finger at Sibelius and he said, you're a heretic. And here's why. And he wrote a creed. Remember, creeds are those things that are just a summary of the things that we believe. It's a way to help us remember and remind what we believe. It gives us a biblical teaching, relatively short, few number of sentences. I'm going to read to you a portion of the Athanasian Creed. The first portion deals with the Trinity. That's what I'm going to read. The second portion deals with the divinity of Christ. We'll handle that next week. The universal Christian faith is this, that we worship God in Trinity, and Trinity is unity. We don't confound the persons or divide the substance. This is crucial when we talk about the Trinity. When we say one God, we're talking one substance, one substance of God, three persons. There's not three different substances, like, you know, three different independent gods, which is tritheism. There is one substance. For there is one person of the Father, another of the Son, and another of the Spirit. But God the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are all one, all glory equal, the majesty co-eternal. Such that the Father is, is the Son. And such that the Son and Father is, is the Holy Spirit. The Father is uncreated. The Son is uncreated. The Spirit is uncreated. The Father, incomprehensible. The Son, incomprehensible. The Holy Spirit, incomprehensible. The Father, eternal. The Son, eternal. The Holy Spirit, eternal. But they are not three eternals. They are one eternal. There are also not three uncreated, nor theory incomprehensible, but one uncreated and one incomprehensible. So likewise, the Father is almighty, the Son is almighty, the Holy Spirit almighty, but there are not three almighties, there is one almighty. The Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God. There are not three gods, but one God. The Father is Lord, the Son is Lord, the Spirit is Lord. There are not three lords, but one Lord. We are compelled by the Christian truth to acknowledge every person by himself to be Lord and God. We are forbidden by the religion to say there are three gods. The Father is made of none, neither created nor begotten. The Son is of the Father alone, not made or created, but begotten. The Holy Spirit is of the Father and the Son, neither made nor created nor begotten, but proceeding. There is one Father, not three fathers, one Son, not three sons, one Spirit, not three spirits. And in this trinity, none is before or after the other. None is greater or less than the other. All whole three persons are co-eternal and co-equal. 
so that in all things, as we have mentioned before, unity in the Trinity, and the Trinity is unity, is to be worshipped. He, therefore, that will be saved must think of the Trinity. This is important, and that's a summary of what we just talked about, right? He made a very clear, very clear creed about how to think about the Trinity. Very clear, because at the day, there was a guy saying, there are three gods. There was another guy saying, Jesus isn't God. There was another guy saying, there are no gods. But we have that today, don't we? We live in a world where there are a multitude of religions, a multitude of beliefs about Christianity, even within the church. And as Christians, we have to know what we believe because we are called to give an answer for our faith. When someone says, I believe this, and you're like, well, that doesn't match up with Scripture, I need to be able to give them the answer about what Scripture really says. We believe in the Trinity. Some of you yawn through this, and that's okay. It's theology. It's doctrine. Some of it's a little boring. Some of it's a little wordy. Some of it's a little heady. I get it. But it's important because what you believe um, determines how you live. And how you live determines how other people see the God that you claim to worship. Um, Your doctrine informs your quality of life. What you believe determines how you act, how you react, and how you choose to live. And each one of us have deep longings. Each one of us have passionate and profound longings in our life. None of them will be satisfied apart from the Trinity, the biblical Trinity. None of your longings, none of your passions, none of your desires will be satisfied apart from the triune God. In God the Father, you were created and called. He plans and directs and sends. His will for you is good. In Jesus, you were redeemed, cleansed, free from sin. He is your high priest and your hope. He is your brother and your savior and your friend. And in the Holy Spirit, you are encouraged, challenged, sanctified. He completes the work to which God started in you before you were born, and Jesus finished on the cross. He counsels you and he loves you back to Jesus time and time again. If you deny the Trinity in part or in whole, you deny who God is. And God is the foundation of our faith. He is the foundation of your life. He is the foundation of our salvation. But I need to clarify that doubt is different than denial, right? To deny something is to clearly say, I don't believe that. I refuse to believe that. That is not true. To doubt something is to go, man, I just don't know. I think I believe that, but I'm I'm not, I just don't totally get it yet. I'm not convinced. I'm not not convinced. I believe it, but I don't know how I believe it. Doubt is different than denial. It's okay to have doubt, okay? Scripture says this in Mark 9, Lord, help my unbelief. This morning, if there's something that you doubt in the Christian faith, whether it's the truth of scriptures, whether it's how God could be three in one, whether it's Jesus really died for all of your sins, Jesus can help with your doubt. Scripture says, help my unbelief. It's okay to have unbelief in the Christian faith. God can work with that. Every need you have is met in the Trinity. So this morning, as we worship... um, If you have a need this morning, 
you have a triune God who's ready and able and willing to meet those needs. Father, Son, and Spirit willing to, to die for your sins. Willing to cover your sins with forgiveness. Willing to encourage you daily to be in the word, to be kind to others, to love God with all of your heart, to serve beyond your capabilities. Our God is a triune God, and I wouldn't have it any other way. It's the best possible way to have God. Three in one. He doesn't trim my hedges and throw the clippings away in a nice little vacuum thing, right? But he does call me, create me, save me, sanctify me, encourage me. That is more than three in one. That is the full package. And we worship the full package this morning. You will uh, stand with me as we close in prayer, and then we will worship. Father, um, we stand because we are reverent to you. We also kneel because we're reverent to you. We also sometimes lay flat on our face because when we are face-to-face with the full glory of you, it's more overwhelming than we can understand. I keep going back to Revelation, the picture of the throne room in chapter 4, and those creatures that their sole job was to cry, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And that is the picture of you, the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit on the throne, the Lamb who is worthy. That's who we're worshiping. We're worshiping you, Father, in your triune glory, Father, Son, and Spirit. Father, thank you for creating us. Jesus, thank you for saving us. Spirit, thank you for working in our lives to continually sanctify us. We worship you as one people before one God this morning. We praise your name, Father. It's in your name we pray. It's a good God we serve, right? He is Father, Son, and Spirit. And Scripture says this to you. The fullness of the Godhead dwells within you. If you believe in God, you are saved by Christ. The fullness of God, Father, Son, and Spirit, call you home, which means wherever you go, God goes. Take him with you this week. Amen? Amen. Share him with someone who needs him.